What does the word luxury mean to you? Is it a custom-built mansion on the beach? A supercar with an array of advanced features? A rare piece of artwork? Or a sumptuous meal prepared with the highest quality ingredients in the world? Perhaps it's a little bit of each. Join me as I explore luxury in its various forms, speaking with the curators of the finest things in life and discovering what makes them and their brands stand out. I'm your host, Arpan Ghosh, and you're listening to The Luxury Podcast. In 2022, the Dubai real estate market has been moving at a frenetic pace in terms of both sales and rentals. The summer, which is usually considered to be a quiet or sleepy period in the industry, has not let up in the slightest. Uh, And for LuxuryProperty.com, the award-winning luxury brokerage that is also the parent company of the Luxury Podcast, business has been good. So good, in fact that the rental division, which was previously handled by one leasing director, has now been split into two. Joining me in this episode are Alex Eady, a head of short stays, and now leasing director handling apartments, and Simon Bowden, leasing director, now focusing exclusively on villas. All right, well, welcome to the show, Simon. It is really good to have you on at last. Finally. <laughs> and Alex, welcome back. Good to have you on again. Good to be back. Thanks, all, <laughs> All right, guys. So um, getting right into it, uh, rents in Dubai have been going up uh, pretty significantly this year, as well as sale prices. I mean, just uh, on the whole, the market's pretty buoyant, uh, especially in the prime areas of the city. What do you think that means for the market going forward? Um, especially, you know, costs, I think, overall have been growing up. Has that had any kind of... Uh, has that really come into play? Well, for me, um, I've been in the, the country near on nine years now. And when I first moved here, there was the expo was announced, I think, in December 2013. And then the prices all went crazy. And then all I've ever dealt with has been a decreasing market. <laughs> um, it, it, it's, it's a bit of a weird place to be right now in the sense of what we've seen in the past 12 to 18 months has been huge growth, especially in the villas sector. Mm-hmm. And for me, that, that comes from the basic principle of Dubai real estate, supply and demand. Right. When we put that into a pandemic, um, coming out the back end of that and the strong growth that there's been, personally, unless there is more supply that comes to the market, I don't really see that letting up. Um, especially when you put into that mix the fact that people are still coming to Dubai. Right. The amount of uh, new tenancies that we're writing as a business and the numbers that, of people that are coming to Dubai are on, on levels that I've not seen in nine years of, of being in the country. And um, mm-hmm. for me, you know, we look at the costs and, 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 and the increased prices of things. I mean, when we compare that against what's going on in the UK right now and in some other countries worldwide, Dubai was always defined as this expensive place to buy things, whether that be goods or services. Right. At the moment, I'm not really seeing the difference between what's 
prices are in the UK and what we're seeing here. So all of a sudden, when we look at the new visa regulations and how open Dubai has become, mm -hmm. you know, investors are being offered somewhere to really put down roots. I think previously the maximum period you could get was one or two years. Yeah. With the new um, guidelines from the government now, people can come here, make investment, and they can have 10 years renewable, yeah. which gives people the opportunity to come here and really, really put down some, some roots. And for me, that's going to take even more supply away from the market, uh, take away some more units from the market, which will mean I really don't see this current situation changing from where it is at the moment. Alex, anything to add to that? Um, no, I agree with Simon. I think that the rental market here has ramped up and it does increase. And I think landlords are expecting it to continue to increase. Right. Um, which is why the rents are going up. So they're expecting more money in comparison to what they achieved last year. Um, and that, as soon as somebody expects the money and it's rented at higher money, mm. you know, the rest of the communities and the, and the rest of the city is going to follow suit. And I think that's what's happening. The, the, the short-term market, again, the demand for that going into the peak season here in October onwards has seen a lot of the sort of apartment stock go back onto short-term or go into short-term upon completion. Right. So the yearly rentals that people are looking for are probably... You know, the demand's there, but there's there's a lot less supply, which means that the, these landlords are achieving a higher rental, which, again, is organically putting the prices up. Uh, from the tenant side of things, uh, what are some of the key factors that are driving rentals right now? What are, you know, what are your clients mainly looking for, if we, if we consider villa communities, for example? Um, yeah, villa communities for me right now, it's quite simple. It's mm -hmm. availability. There is such a lack of freely available stock within the market. We look at areas, I'll use Dubai Hills, for example. Mm -hmm. um, last year, prices have, have, have gone to levels which, which were unprecedented for there. Um, I think uh, the last research that we did on this was that there's been a 30 to 40% increase in right. under 18 months in an area um, like that. But that's across the board, and, and I believe it's very much coming down to what's available on the market and there doesn't seem to be that many uh, that many available stock units that we can go for right. um, agencies i believe in the city that are successful right now are the ones that can build the lasting relationships with the owners over a prolonged period of time and at the moment they're the ones that are picking up the stock um, <laughs> and and ultimately as far as where it goes and, 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 and how it changes. I, I think I mentioned it before, the only way that I see this situation changing and, 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 and things slowing down would be supply coming to the market. And I believe that in, in the coming uh, 12 months, there is only two really standout developments which are coming to market, which is Talal Al Gaf um, and also Arabian Ranches 3. Mm -hmm. But when we look at the unit numbers that are coming there, I don't believe that there'll still be enough to sustain the incoming numbers of relocating families. Right. So I believe that this trend will, will just continue. Um, so yeah, if, if we were going to say what a client's really looking for right now, it's, it's, it's what's available. Um, they're being less, less picky than what they could have been previously. Mm -hmm. you know, we, we, we deal with clients that come and that have you know, five to 10 units to choose from. Now it seems to be one or two uh, right. within an area at any given time, which again means less available stock, higher asking prices, 
and that has been driving what's been going on in the market currently. Uh, and what are some of the areas where you're seeing the most demand, if we say like the top three? Yeah, so we within the business we have uh, the standout areas at the moment. Dubai Hills Estate is is flying. Yes. We, mm-hmm. we, we have significant uh, lead generation within this area. Um, and there is, there is lots of transactions happening when we go into uh, the Ajari data and we look at what's actually uh, being put out there. Dubai Hills is flying. It's had handover uh, recently of, of, of some of uh, the communities. Right. Um, in addition to that, Arabian Ranches 1 and 2 have always been standout products. Um, yep. Imar being a stand, an outstanding developer. Um, and again, there is always demand in these areas. But when we look at what's also going on at the moment, uh, especially in the prime space, uh, Jumeirah Golf Estates, transaction numbers there uh, are increasing. Again, the un- underlying issue right there at the moment is stock availability. But when stock is coming to the market, it's going at levels not seen before. And there's been various record transactions done within that community in the past 12 months. Right. And in terms of transactional activity, uh, when we're looking at villas, are you seeing a fairly even spread across various price points? Or is it maybe a bit more weighted towards the prime end? How is it looking? Well, well. Uh, it's always going to you're always going to do more transactions in the mid in the mid range because there's naturally more available stock. Right. But at the prime end, um, in my time in Dubai, it was always quite rare to see a transaction above a million dirhams mm. uh, for rental. Um, whereas now, especially within uh, the Villas team currently, we're doing multiple numbers of this per month, um, right. and there seems to be a, a huge appetite for this high end high end stock and. And it's really, really um, pleasing to see. Right. Um, it's showing me that there is there is appetite for people to come to Dubai. There is opportunity there for people to come to Dubai. And as I've already mentioned with the reforms and, and, and how, how open the Emirate has been, mm-hmm. it's attracting some very, very high-level individuals and, and, and they're, they're looking to secure high-level properties. Um, but again, it, it, for me... The, the predominantly, we're always going to see huge transactional numbers in your standout villa areas, Arabian ranches, Dubai hills, uh, springs, lakes, meadows, mm, uh, Jumeirah right. Park. But when we start to look at these other higher, higher end areas, uh, Jumeirah Golf Estates, District 1, uh, Al Barari, you know, these transactions didn't come around as often. And some brokers in the city will openly tell you a deal in one of these outstanding communities would come around once every three or four months. Right. We're doing multiple transactions in these areas on a month-by-month basis. Um, Alex, if we if we consider the apartment segment now, are you seeing a similar trend there where it's just about people trying to find availability? or? Yeah, to a certain extent, as I, as I touched on earlier, because everything we're going into the peak season and, and we're getting more that are coming available that are just going on for short-term rentals now as well. Right. It's completely dependent on area. Um, you know, mainly downtown is where we're losing stock from the yearly side of things to the short-term side of things because it attracts okay. those corporate clients or people coming over here for work that will rent it for anywhere between three to six months mm-hmm. at a premium amount. So the landlords, you know, it's great for them because they're gonna it's going to come back available in March again just as they're going into the summer season. Right. And that's then when they'll consider sort of a yearly or hopefully get another six-monthly rental in. Um, places like the marina stays pretty pretty steady there always seems to be relatively good availability there Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, the rents overall for short term don't ramp up quite as much as they do in downtown. So in terms of ROI, there's, um, there's not much advantage of doing it in comparison to how much they're having to pay to Airbnb or the management company um, or the actual hassle of getting sort of weekly, weekly rentals done there, which is it sort of most popular. Uh, now, of course, the other big factor that, uh, that I guess we, we probably should be discussing is uh, the World Cup which is coming up soon, and it's, uh, I think it's already having a, a significant impact on the rental market in Dubai. What, what do we think the market's going to look like in the next couple of months? I mean, it's already extremely busy. Um, a, a lot of the service apartments that I deal with, all the residences, and even the hotels are already at 90 95% occupancy for it. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> individual landlords have obviously jumped on, on board with this, and, and some of the rents have you know, gone up by about... 200% just for, the, for, for November and December and they're achieving it so mm. that's the thing that never ceases to surprise me about about Dubai if you know obviously I'm from, from London and if I was paying X amount one month and it doubled the next it would right. be horrifying and over here it's almost expected so people are just paying it and, and accepting it because they want to be here for the World Cup Doha's already fully booked um, right. so yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lucrative market, the short-stay side of things over here, so I understand why people capitalise on it. But it's already extremely busy, um, sort of advanced reservations I've been having since January. Um, and Simon, on your side, um, does the kind of long-term market get impacted by the World Cup at all? Um, for me, it's a case of, I believe, what will probably happen here is, especially on Palm Jumeirah as an area as an example, mm-hmm. a lot of this stock will be taken away from the market or from probably four months. Right. And then there'll be an influx back to the market around about February time, Mm -hmm. which will then give a slight oversupply. But for me, the short stay and and the long-term thing, it probably won't affect too much on the basis of a lot of contracts on the Palm now are going to be over that period. So unless the contract is expiring, it probably won't have too much of an impact. Although I did hear of an astronomical short-stay deal which was done in the past month over the term of the World Cup, and it was equivalent of what someone would expect to pay for a yearly rental, and it was for, oh, wow. for three or four <laughs> months during the World Cup period. So I totally get the the, the, uh, the angle of, of, of some of the owners in this area. But long-term effects against long-term, for me, all it will do is take away some stock over the World Cup period mm-hmm. that will be released back to market around about probably February and March time. Now, looking back at uh, the summer, it's always been seen as a bit of a slow period in Dubai real estate, but I think uh, really over the past couple of years, that's changed. And certainly this year, uh, it's been very far from the case. I think we've had a few people in, in the rentals team who've hit target over summer, which is it's a bit unusual, but I guess not so much anymore. What do you think were some of the factors that influenced uh, such a high level of activity? I think for me, it's very much pent-up frustration from people of being not being able to travel. Right. People were locked up during the pandemic and, and, and really couldn't move around, which means a lot of the move dates, a lot of the uh, expiry of rental contracts, mm-hmm. predominantly they were always August and September, right. whereas a lot of them have maybe uh, shifted and, and changed. I, I just feel like I've been here, as I mentioned, nine years. It's... The last summer, and we look at the figures, we look at the transactional values, we look at the, the lead generation numbers, mm-hmm. they, they're, they're unprecedented. We're at a point where 
like you rightfully said, most brokers in Dubai go go away for six, seven weeks because it was always defined as the quiet period. Whereas, honestly speaking, we look at the numbers and what's been happening. It's been it's it's been crazy, mm. um, and that for me just shows that the appetite to be in Dubai, irrespective of how hot it is and whatever else, it's it's there even during the summer months now. And, and I just hope it, well, I don't hope it, I, I see it <laughs> continuing. Right. Um, and um, for me, we're going into what we, we see as the busiest month of the year now in September. And yeah. the numbers and, and the output on lead generation and what we look at from our data um, is that it, it's just going to continue. So for me, I think summer being quiet to a lot of brokers now going forward will be a myth and they'll probably reconsider traveling in the coming years. Uh, Alex? Um, Yeah, just sort of echoing what Simon says, I think it's a bit of a mindset thing, I think, as well, partly from some of the renters. I think historically people, they either know how busy it's going to get in September and want to secure something in the summer now because, you know, historically they were running out of stock or supply was low in September. So they've either shifted forward and everyone else has done the same. Mm. But I think it's also just inbound, you know, sort of people relocating over here. And, and it actually, it, it, the summer is just the summer. It, you know, the only thing that really changes over here is, is, in effect is the weather. But you've got right. a, a lot of stock coming available from the end of the short stay, end of the peak season from February and March. And it all, anything sort of back on into the summer that's still available in June, July, for example. Right. Um, Traditionally, I guess the price reduces because it's not been rented and because the market's quite quiet. So I think people have also thought previously they can get a really good deal in the summer, whereas now I, I'm not so sure, to be honest. All right. Um, well, Simon, uh, let's focus on you a little bit. So you've uh, you've joined us this year, and, and since, since joining again, we've seen just tremendous activity in the rental team to the point where we had to split it off into two just because there is so much to work with. Uh, so where did your journey with real estate begin oh, oh. <laughs> this is your life <laughs> um, so me I uh, I'm originally from Manchester in the north of England um, I left school at 16 believe it or not and this will probably be hard to believe I was a flooring installer or a carpet fitter really so yeah okay. so I, th- I think um, a lot of my um, probably outgoingness and openness to speak to people comes from working on building sites <laughs> And no one probably really would expect me to say that, but uh, I did that for three years. Um, and then I was was at a point where, you know, I, w- I wanted something very, very different. And at the time, there was an opportunity to work for a high street bank. Okay. Um, and I worked my way up there. I started, I think, at the age of 19. I was a cashier. Um, so just a, a teller within a branch. Right. And then yeah. progressed on from there to being what was known as a customer advisor. So that was giving um, financial advice on on products and services from from the bank. And that was naturally where I was taught a lot of uh, skills in regards to products and services. Um, And and the the original plan was that that was going to progress into a job in mortgages from the bank. uh, And that got me interested in property. Um, and then once that interest in property took over, I ended up working in a high street uh, agency in the UK called Bridgefords in Manchester. At the time, they were part of the Countrywide Group, which okay. was the 
uh, biggest estate agency group in the UK at the time. That was recently acquired by Sequence Group in the UK, who are now the biggest estate agency group in the UK. Loved it. It was love at first sight. I went in there. I was <laughs> right. a lister. I was meeting clients. I was listing properties. I was. Uh, it was just so so exciting, and to do and to do it. And the branch that we were working at in East Manchester was 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 what was defined at the time as a failing branch, All uh, right. because the numbers that were being listed and brought to the market weren't sufficient against the competition. Mm. So I was tasked with myself and the branch manager of moving things forward and. Um, yeah, um, things worked quite well there. I ended up moving then to uh, Oxford as my partner at the time was working in Oxford. Okay. Worked there for a year and then I met a friend there who the year after ended up moving to Dubai. And then okay. that friend, obviously you see everything on social media, right. Facebook, Instagram, <laughs> and you're like, oh, it looks great out there. And it was a situation where I'd messaged the person and said, oh, look, Dubai looks great. And I'm like, oh, I'm, I won't be good enough to get out there. It's, 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 an, it's the next level. It's the elite level of agency. And she was like, <laughs> come on, send the CV. We'll see where it goes. This was a dreary day in December 2013. I did an interview, a second interview. And then within a month, I was gone. 28th of January, 2014. Oh, wow. And that was the journey. <laughs> And then I've been here now nine years in January, and um, I still love it. You know, some people do this job, and, and or I call it the lifestyle now, because um, it pretty much <laughs> takes over your life, but um, you've got to want it. Right. You know, for me, coming from a background of working as a carpet fitter from 16, you, you kind of look back and go, do I really ever want to be in that position again? And the simple answer is no. And, and, and real estate has given me the opportunity to do things and, and, have, and have things happen in my life. And, and I'm thankful for that. All right. Uh, and you've, uh, you know, through, throughout your real estate career, you've mm -hmm. done sales, you've done rentals. Yeah. Were you always leaning a bit more towards rentals or how did you end up focusing on that? So when I initially moved here, <clears throat> I, I was in rentals and I just enjoyed it. Right. From the off, I love the pace of the transaction. I love the fact that you can go from one week to another. Week one of the month, you might not do a transaction. And a lot of people let that get to them. Mm. And, and it can affect them. And obviously, in the industry we are, um, it, it can be t quite tough. Um, for me, I always loved the fact that you could make a reaction on a Monday, and that could get you a deal by the Friday. The right. pace of transactions in rentals has always been what I enjoyed the most. I did do sales. Um, mm -hmm. I enjoyed sales, but the pace of the transaction and, 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 and the fact that you'd have to um, take a property on and it could take a prolonged time to sell. When it sells, then it goes through conveyancing and you don't get paid until the end. And, right. you know, salespeople <laughs> at the end of the day, we want to, we want to see the result of the, of the hard work. And yeah. for me, yeah. I've always been... Um, much more motivated by rentals on the basis of the pace of the transaction and how frantic and how fast-paced it is. All right. Uh, and Alex, for you, I think it's been maybe a slightly a slightly different journey. So you, of course, started out as the head of short stays. You were dealing exclusively with short-term rentals. Uh, and now you're focusing a bit more on long-term rentals. Is it maybe a slightly slower pace? Um, what, what's the transition been like? It's, um, it's been a good one. It's felt fairly natural, to be honest with you. So I was doing, obviously I've done short stays in, in London historically for 
for a company there um, mm. doing luxury property brands there, which was relatively similar to what it was over over here. Mm. And then most of my career was in rentals in the UK, yeah. uh, similar to Simon. I did three weeks in sales nearly 20 years ago, <laughs> realised it wasn't for me, always wanted to be an estate agent. So I went into the rental side of things and it's the... It's the fast pace of it. It's right. frantic. Every day is different. You're learning something new every day of your life. And mm. yeah, I, I guess that's what, what I enjoyed about it. I mean, the short stay side of things over here is, is going to be good. A lot of it was mainly less viewing, more just bookings because right. they were coming over on holiday. They didn't need to, to view anything. It was just almost like a reservation. Right, okay. Um, whereas obviously the long stay, yearly rental side of things, the market's always going to be busy and buoyant out here. Uh, and without any of the red tape that we have to deal with in the UK, mm. deals just go ahead so much quicker as well. You know, there's no tenant referencing um, or enhanced safety checks or anything like that that we need to sort of come up against. So it's, mm. you know, for the brokers out here, it's it's a really good opportunity to have that, that sort of pure, basic, raw sales rather than having to be clued up on legislation all the time and something else preventing them from actually getting a, a deal signed. Right. Uh, so, I, I mean, I guess this is kind of one for both of you, since you've both uh, had experience in the UK market and then come to Dubai. Is it, in general, like an easier work environment here, would you say? Or, or how would you... <laughs> a loaded question. It, how would you it's not necessarily that? easier. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually involves a lot more hard work over here. But um, right. in effect, I guess, a lot less skill. There's no legislation as such that you need to be aware of. There's, like I said, there's, there's no red tape. So, you know, it's just the, the selling side of things and it, it's speed and it's making sure everything's done extremely quickly. Um, if, you, if you get a client in and you've got the right property for them, you take them there, you view it and you ask them to sign and, you know, same with the landlord and the job's done. But it's also hard because you've got so many other agents that you're up against over here. Right. In the UK, 60, 70% of your, your listings over there will be on exclusivity or sole agency Mm. so it's a guaranteed deal as such so i think it's harder over here because it's more competitive right yeah i completely second that um in the uk predominantly what will happen is you're in a town say manchester in your locality you'll have four or five estate agency physical offices in the high street right and your seller will invite out three or four of the agencies to come and pitch to them tell them what they will do and they will then sign up with usually one agency right and that will be for an exclusivity period and and when that happens usually the property will sell during that exclusivity period yeah in dubai exclusivity is here but owners are less apprehensive to do that because there is so many agencies out in the market but for me exclusivity out here should 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 be more of a thing because the brands that they're operating are so so different and they offer so many different things so when we look at it there is some similarities and i wish in a way dubai would take some of the uk methodology when it comes to exclusivity Mm. i know that the land department have just announced new legislation saying about uh, only three permits will be issued for advertising which i believe will be a massive step forward Mm -hmm. and that will benefit the the agencies or the brokerages who are offering something different Uh, i think the days of sellers or or landlords uh, listing properties with five to ten agencies are going to go Mm. and the cream will rise to the top in the sense of brokerages who are offering the best service the best follow-up time 
the best branding will be the ones that will will take a lion's share of what's going on in the market right now right now with you know the experiences that you've had what advice would you give to a new rental agent who's coming in uh trust the process is my <laughs> general advice <laughs> it is a difficult one and i think everybody individually struggles with a different aspect of not necessarily the job but even right. you know the transition and the relocation to dubai mm-hmm. um you know I've, I've seen people before that are absolutely incredible at the job and fearless and do really really well and earn a fortune and then six months in really struggle with the culture shock right just i think in terms of like the, the working model mm-hmm. obviously we provide comprehensive training it's done by all of our management teams so they get a bit of insight from all of us yeah um just take our advice because we've lived it we've done it right um <laughs> And we just want you to succeed, you know. It, it, it is a big move over here, ultimately. You know, I'm 38 years old, and it was a big move for me. Right. But, yeah, I think, ultimately, overall, just trust the process. Yeah, um, I always advise anyone who comes into the team, there's things that we can teach you and there's things that we can't. Right. Um, as Alex said, trust the process. I mm-hmm. believe when you look at the structure of what we do, we look at the, the stats that we run, everything around that, we can predict and we can help with what we cannot teach is the the hard work and i think there's a line that is hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard right and i think right. for me any broker coming into the business they need to realize that you have all the tools and all of the uh, weapons in your armory to to get the job done and earn really really good money but you have to work for it there has to be that drive and determination to do the things that the other brokers in town want, mm-hmm. whether that yeah. be uh, late night viewings, whether that means being available to clients on a weekend, whether that means sacrificing a couple of hours in the morning to get, get something done. It's just going that extra mile. And that's the bit we can't teach. We can advise it, right. but, but it comes from within. And... You know, now we're we're gearing up for the end of the third quarter, uh, going into the last quarter of the year, which is uh, tremendously exciting. What what are your expectations? What are you looking forward to uh, for the end of the year? Well, for me, already this year, um, as far as the leasing division has gone, I'm sure Alex has seen it and myself. Things have gone very very well um, in quarter two, right. um, and we've seen significant growth within the business. Obviously that's culminated in us having to split the, the divisions and, and, and work, uh, independently on, on, on the villas and the apartments team. Right. Mm-hmm. I only see it getting even busier. As I've already mentioned earlier, I believe with the undersupply that's in, in the villas sector right now, as we come out of summer, obviously mm. everyone's been saying summer was quiet, but as we've <laughs> already spoke about, it's not really the case anymore. Yeah. I believe Dubai is even going to get busier. We look at Dubai in general when the cooler months come from September onwards. Even driving into the office this morning, you can notice that there's a buzz about the place. Yeah. The roads are busier. Mm. Um, the shops are busier. You go to the mall. I was in the mall at the weekend. It was packed. My partner works in retail. And the comment was, Dubai's back. Right. Um, honestly, and, and I, for me, the busier the city is, the better for everyone who's here. Uh, the pandemic brought big, big problems, and, and it seems like the way the city's recovered from that and it being so open for business and so open for people to be here, I can only see the rental market going even further than where it already has. 
Amazing. Uh, Alex? Yeah, I completely agree. Dubai is back. And uh, <laughs> I think, as I said earlier, the, the summer was unexpectedly busy. And I think, you know, the, the, the coming months and the, the, the end of the year is going to be even more busy. I don't think it was people that have just would normally move in the last three months of the year have moved into the summer. I think it's just the natural progression of of people coming into the country or wanting to move or needing to move from an right. apartment or to a villa for what you, you know you've got such a big and established expat community here now that mm-hmm. it isn't just new people moving in it's people need to downsize because the circumstances have changed or move areas um so i think it's going to be extremely busy um <clears throat> excited to see what it's going to be work-wise um i live in the marina so weekends when it's that crazy isn't great, but uh, <laughs> no, exciting times ahead. Oh, yes, definitely, definitely. Um, all right, well, I would like to thank you both uh, for joining me on the Luxury Podcast. Uh, I know it's a tremendously busy period, so I'm glad you could make out the time. But before we wrap up, there is one final component of the interview, uh, the Quickfire Q&A. Oh, I've been uh, warned about this. <laughs> right. Now, Alex, you've you've been through this previously, this so before, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> feel free to jump in at any point if you've got a new answer. Probably the same answer, but... to be honest with <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you. You can rate Simon's answers if you oh, want. That's That sounds more fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so if you're ready, Simon, we'll, we'll get started. Yeah, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Your favorite cuisine? Italian. Always a great choice. Uh, any uh, particular dishes? Pizza, pasta. <laughs> Very easy. Yeah. All of it. All of it. All of it. With a nice glass of wine. Nice. Uh, any places you'd recommend? Um, I really like in uh, JBR, I think it's Rosso, which is at Rosso, yeah. uh, the mm. Amwaj, is it Amwaj Ratana? Yeah. yeah. I love it. Mm. Very nice, great pizzas, great vibe, very, very nice venue. Nice. Uh, what's the last place that you traveled to? Oh, um, for holiday or in general? In general. The UK for a wedding. <laughs> but I want to say Greece. Love the place. I've never been to Greece before. Went to Athens and then to Santorini. Oh, wow. Um, Bit of a story on that. We were advised (laughs) not to get the ferry. We got the ferry. It was 12 hours and it was a nightmare. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) But it was worth the 12 hours in the end. Santorini's incredible place. Athens was amazing. 100% a place I would go to again. Amazing. Uh, And I believe you have another trip coming up soon. I do. Uh, Bali, Bali, another place I've never been. Very, very uh, excited about that. Uh, Going a couple of days' time um, for a little bit of rest and relaxation before we get back into the country and and it all goes crazy again. (laughs) But yeah, I'm very, very much looking forward to that uh, place I've never been before. I've seen all the Insta videos and everything else uh, on YouTube. Uh, Yeah, it's going to be incredible. Very exciting. Um, what are two items on your bucket list? Ooh, well, one of them um, is actually Grand, the Grand Canyon. Okay. Um, there nice. is the Skywalk at the Grand Canyon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm terrible with heights, <laughs> although it has a glass floor, so it's right. probably not going to fit very well. <laughs> but I've seen enough videos uh, previously. Um, 100% I want to go to the Grand Canyon. Um, and the other one I would probably say is I'd love to go and watch an NBA game at Madison Square Garden. Oh, nice. I'm a big NBA fan, um, so okay. 
might have a trip planned for December, I'm not sure, but 100% taking an NBA game at Madison Square Garden. Amazing. Favourite team? It's a bit of a weird one because <laughs> I used to go to America uh, when I was younger and right. I'm actually a fan of the Orlando Magic because we used to go to Florida. Right. However, the Orlando yeah. Magic are a horrible team, <laughs> but I don't want to be cl- cliche and say... LA Lakers or anything like that. It's like when you talk NFL, everyone's a Dallas Cowboys fan. So yeah, for me, Orlando Magic, because I've seen a game uh, at the Amway Center as it used to be in in Orlando. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Um, What do you consider to be your greatest luxury? Oh, (laughs) greatest luxury. Oh, I hate saying this because it's so not me. Is it your um, car? It is the car. <laughs> <laughs> it's the car. Which so, one? Oh, come on, Alex. So um, I've always been, I've always believed I'm pretty grounded as a person with my upbringing and, and these things. And I've always been quite anti-luxury. Um, right. And my friends, if they do hear this, will absolutely tear me to bits for it. But yeah, greatest luxury. Uh, me and my partner bought a Porsche. I always say it's hers, it's secretly mine. Uh, um, and yeah, it, I always saw it as an aspirational thing um, and, and we got one. So I'm really happy with that. But I'm now looking at the next one and, and she wants a Mercedes G-Wagon, whatever that is. And, and oh yeah, I love cars. I've always been a petrol head. Uh, right. since a very, very early age. I'm a humongous Formula One fan. Um, so yeah, the Porsche is the biggest luxury right now. Uh, well, what was your first car? Oh, <laughs> uh, my first car, Alex, you might remember this, Fiat Punto. Yeah, same. <laughs> Fiat Punto, it was a 53 reg, so that would have been, what, 2003. Yeah. I was quite lucky because it was actually my mum's car. I passed my test, couldn't afford a car. My mum was like, oh, you can drive my car. I was like, oh, fantastic. <laughs> so I'm driving around in this, this, this four-door I mean, they weren't very good, were they? They were just no. very middle of the road. But in the town that I was from, there was a right. Fiat dealership and they did these crazy deals. So everyone in the town had a Fiat. And uh, yeah, Fiat, um, Fiat Punto, four-door, black, oh, horrible. <laughs> uh, and also, just to clarify, for the sake of a disclaimer, you, you said earlier that you're anti-luxury. Presumably you mean for yourself, not... Yeah, (laughs) let's rewind and edit that out, I'm talking, no, I'm not anti-luxury, I can see the benefit in like, I don't want my friends to think I'm this out there uh, luxury guy, I love a Rolex, I love the Porsche, you're completely right, I'm not anti-luxury, but the point I'm trying to get across is, I think it's these aspirational things in the the background that I've come from originally, are not really... The things that uh, people get. I mean, it's it's not a frivolous purchase. It's something no. you really have to have to earn. Yes, yeah. correct. Yeah. Uh, how do you define success? Oof, it's a tough question because <laughs> I think that it, it it very much comes from the person you ask it to. You can sit there and talk to sportsmen like Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel Messi. These guys will they're numbers guys. They want to be remembered as the best there ever was. The right. GOAT, I think is the term that <laughs> yeah, the, these, the, the, yep. the, the kids are using these days. They're using the GOAT <laughs> term. Um, but for me, uh, success to me is, is, is going to a place each day where you want to be doing a job you want to do and living the life you want to live. I, I'm not a big believer in that people uh, should go through life 
uh, working just to, uh, to earn money. You should work to live, you shouldn't live to work. I think if you take that back um, to a normal perspective, it, it's very much about happiness and very mm. much about being in a position, whether that be in your personal life, in your work life, um, and being content with what you have, uh, rather than in, in, in the chase of, of these numbers and trophies. It's being content with yourself. I like that. Um, what is a piece of advice that changed your life or that has stuck with you over the years? Yeah, so I mentioned earlier about the, the journey from, from being working in a trade when I left school and then ending up in a state agency. Right. And there was, I think there was a defined period where I was working at the bank at the time and there was that crossroads between staying in the bank and doing mortgage advice mm -hmm. or going into a state agency. And at the time, my, uh, who would become my manager, a lady called Alison, um, she, I interviewed with her right. and basically she said, look, I'm between a rock and a hard place. There's a part of me that wants to... Uh, stays in, a, in the bank and there's a part of me that really wants to make, take the plunge into a state agency and, she, and I remember it as, as clear as anything she said to me well if you don't try you'll never know hmm. and I remember um, when I got offered the opportunity to move to Dubai yep. I went back to her she was my ex-manager at the time and, and, and I said look I'm in this quandary and she said do you remember when you were at the bank and I said to you if you don't try you'll never know right I said, you're in that place again. So she will definitely not hear this, 100%, but I owe it to her for that advice because uh, that defined the move into a state agency in the UK yeah. and then ultimately the move to Dubai. Fantastic. Fantastic. I love that. And Alex, you've been silent for a while. I'm, I'm going to throw in a bonus question just for you. Great. <laughs> if you could trade places with someone for a day, who would it be? Can you ask me something else? I love it. I've absolutely had him off. I love it. Wow. Oh, I love it. I honestly don't know, you know. I'm one of those, like, content people that Simon's talking about. I feel yeah. like I've, I've succeeded and, yeah, I've never really thought about it before. Uh, thanks for that. <laughs> by the way, I love this question bit, by the way. I just, it's just out there. I love it. Well, <laughs> oh, we'll... <laughs> We'll save that for quick fire number three. Okay. <laughs> uh, Simon, any thoughts on that? Or are you, you pretty content as well? I'm content. Right. But you'd love to swap places with a billionaire for a day, right? I mean, it depends on the billionaire. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Um, for me, I'm very content. But swap places with a billionaire. See how the other, other half live. Right. Click your fingers and have anything right. you want. But I'm, I'm sure that would get quite boring very quickly. Yeah, um, yeah. good question, Alfan. It's caught me very, very off guard. Never been so off guard, I think. <laughs> All right, and that's it for our quick fire. So thank you both again. I really do appreciate this. And yeah, looking forward to a strong finish to the year. Thank you, Alfan. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for this episode of the Luxury Podcast. Thank you very much for joining me for the season four premiere. 
If you enjoyed this interview, then please subscribe to stay up to date with our newest episodes. And follow The Luxury Podcast on Instagram for all the latest with the show. The Luxury Podcast is a sub-brand of LuxuryProperty.com, marketing the world's finest homes. Visit us at LuxuryProperty.com and follow all of our social media channels. Thank you very much for listening. And remember to always enjoy life's little luxuries.